purposely waited to turn this microphone on because every set of batteries dies in it while we're preaching. So uh, I believe Brother Larry also had a fun experience this morning in Sunday school. So uh, pray the mic holds out so that we don't have a distraction this morning. If you would turn over to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we'll be uh, for most of the morning. We will move a little bit, but Acts chapter 9, uh, you have probably the most famous of conversions in the New Testament. Uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, you have a man by the name of Saul. We mostly know him as Paul the Apostle. He wrote uh, over half of your New Testament and uh, is probably one of the greatest Christians to ever live. I don't necessarily say he's the greatest, uh, but uh, he's, he's definitely high on the list. Uh, and so here he is, uh, but this ultimately is his conversion, and it's a true conversion. And you get Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound onto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling in a said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to, the saint, to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered in unto the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. And then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
And all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which, are call, which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for, the, for that intent, that he might bring them bound into the, onto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now they're going to go about and they want to kill him and they got to get him out, you know, and all the things that happened with Paul. But uh, as far as that goes, uh, but here you have, I mean, some amazing things. In those 20 some odd verses, 22 verses, uh, you have some amazing things that happen. Uh, one of the most amazing to me is Ananias is pretty amazing. Uh, you realize that uh, I don't know how many people in Damascus were named Ananias. You say, why does that matter? Because Saul sees in a vision a man named Ananias coming. <laughs> now, if there is another Ananias that is saved, that is in the city, that's pretty amazing. Not saying there isn't another one, but that shows some pretty good confidence that Ananias was going to do what he was told. <sighs> that's a pretty good deal. Could you imagine if someone was like, uh, all right, uh, the Lord goes, hey, I know Mike wouldn't work in this room, right? Because there's like 60 of you. Um, that's half the population of the church. But, uh, you know, if there was a normal name that isn't quite so vastly used in this building, uh, you know, if there was a vision and it was your name, and the Lord said, yeah, by the way, he already saw you were coming. Could you imagine if the Lord was like, yeah, uh, don't worry. I already told him, Ed Church is on his way. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. isn't this the guy that's supposed to kill me? <laughs> yeah, don't worry, it's fine. I already told him you were coming. <laughs> Talk about sealing the deal on that, right? There's some amazing things in the chapter. I mean, you have, you have a light shining down from heaven. You have the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking and appearing to the Saul at the time. You have all these amazing pieces uh, but what is truly amazing, and is you get back to Acts chapter 7, and we won't read all this stuff for the sake of time. Most of you are familiar with it, right? You have in Acts chapter 7, one of the greatest men by the name of Stephen. And he stands in front of the high priest. He stands in front of the, ultimately the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are in front of him. He preaches to them the entirety of their history as a nation and shows them how they have rejected God, and now Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come, and they have rejected Him, as your fathers did, so do ye. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. And the nation of Israel goes ahead and makes the worst choice they possibly could at that particular moment. Now, if you're looking at the history of the nation of Israel back there all the way with Samuel, in 1 Samuel they reject God the Father as their king. Make us a king. Samuel, make us a king like all the other nations. God says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. They reject God the Father. You get out there, and by the time you get to the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, you have the crucifixion of the Son of God. We have no king but Caesar is the declaration. They reject Jesus Christ, the real rightful Messiah, as their king, and they put him out, and they, they go ahead, and without the camp, they crucify him and kill him and destroy him. Then you get to Acts chapter 7, and they have one more chance. The third part of the Godhead shows up. 
and the third part of the Godhead is there and he is waiting to find out if they were going to take him or not. But the answer is you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. And they go out and they thrust upon him and they gnash on him with their teeth and they stone him and they kill him and they lay their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul is consenting unto Stephen's death. And as one of the greatest, possibly one of the greatest preachers that was there would have been Stephen. I mean, you look at that passage, that's some preaching right there. You read Acts chapter 7, that's one of the greatest messages you'll ever see. And they take him out and stone him. You know what the devil's thinking? The devil's thinking, I just keep winning. I just keep winning. The devil's going, they can't, even, they can't even keep players in the game. I'll just kill them all off. That's fine. And I think the Lord's sitting there. And he thinks, you take one of my best, I'm going to take one of yours. You get to Acts chapter 9 and you get one of the greatest changes of a life that ever happens. It is the, one of the, if not the greatest convert that you find in the scriptures. The change from darkness to light in Acts chapter 9 is unbelievable. And if it wasn't written down and it wasn't backed up and you didn't have another 14 books by him, you and I wouldn't know the greatness of the change of this man's life. But it is a true conversion. Now, it's a special conversion. Before I get into the actual, this is a special conversion, okay? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> if you had a light shine down from heaven and a voice speak to you and tell you that it's Jesus, and that's how you got saved, please don't raise your hand. Also, talk to Brother Viscom after the service. <laughs> if that's what happened to you, that's strange. Now, I'm going to slide this in. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago with some testimonies. I do not believe in dreams and visions, okay? All right. If you saw that, you got issues. All right. Uh, you better make sure things match up with the Bible. And the Lord has taken care of those things. You have now, you have the fullness of a Bible, and it is complete, and it is finished, and the revelation of God is there. You do not need dreams or visions. If you're having bad dreams and visions, go ahead and quit eating pizza, all right? I don't know what your problem is. Quit having the spicy food before you go to bed. I don't know. Whatever it is, take care of that, all right? That's not the Lord. You say, oh, you can't tell me what I feel. You're right, but I can tell you your feelings are wrong. You can't tell me my feelings are wrong. Yes, I can. Because you felt wrong about things before, haven't you? Oh, but don't worry. Nobody can tell you you're wrong as it is. Anyways, I'm moving on. I'm going to get mad about some things. and I already did that all through Sunday school. That's why I was late. And uh, hey, what's going on? Saul shows up. A light shines from heaven. That's not normal. The voice speaks to him. That's not normal. Right? He gets blinded and has to have somebody come lay hands on him so that he can see again. Not normal. I bet if we went around the room, 
this conversion right here with the specifics of the event do not match up with anybody in this room. But I would also say this. There are specifics to yours that don't match up to anybody else's either. He's an individual God. He chooses individuals. He works with individuals. Whosoever will. He looks around and says, who wants it? Whoever wants it, they can come and get it. But you also don't have the same experiences as somebody else. I was talking about this with the teenagers next door for Sunday school. I was having a good time. I don't know if they enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. And that's usually what happens. I enjoy everybody else suffers. So uh, that's kind of the deal. And uh, so I'm enjoying myself. But I was talking about equality. The world boasts itself on equalities. We want everybody equal. All men are created equal. So we're all six foot two. We're all weighing in at right a good 225. We're all, you know, perfectly fit. We can all do the same jobs. We all know the same things. We all think the same way. We're all a bunch of robots. Equality is a myth. The only thing that makes us all equal, that idea of all men are created equal, we're all sinners. We all need a savior. And we're all destined for hell without him. There you go, you're all equal. But let's face it, we're not equal. Some of you know things that I don't know. Some of you can do things I don't do. Some of you, I wouldn't trust to do some of the things that I do. Right? Let's be honest. If we're realistic, we're not equal in every area of life. You're not equal. Sometimes, isn't it good to recognize I can't do that? I need somebody else to do that because if I do that, this is going to go bad. Right? Your conversion is particular to you. The Lord saving you is particular to you. But there are certain things that happen that are universal. If certain things aren't there, you didn't get it. (laughs) Right? If Jesus isn't the one doing the saving, you didn't get it. (laughs) Right? That's a common common moment right there. If you didn't recognize you're a sinner, you didn't get it. (laughs) If you don't recognize certain things and realize and change and decide, you didn't get salvation. You got whatever you thought was something. And the answer to that is, well, you can't tell me how I feel. You're right, but your feelings are wrong. Because salvation isn't found in feelings. Well, I felt better that day because I said sorry. By the way, saying sorry is not salvation. And this morning I want to talk about a true convert. The Apostle Paul is who he later becomes. Saul here. He is very particular. I think he's very particular to the Lord. I think he was so special that the Lord wanted to flip him over to his side and take him from the devil, from the devil's side in that darkness and move him over into that glorious light of liberty that he has in Jesus Christ. I think he wanted it so bad he just said, you know what I'll do? I'll cheat the system on this one. I'm taking him. And he took him. Sure enough. He took him and he snatched him from darkness and he put him over into the light and he went ahead and But there are certain things that are exactly the same that happened to Paul 
Saul at the time, that happened to you if you've got a Savior. And if you're a true convert, this is what you'll have. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at a true conversion this morning. Father, I thank you for the day and I thank you for the Word of God. It clears up a whole lot of things. Lord, the truth of God makes it so simple to go ahead and look at what a world does and go, you guys are all foolish. And so, Father, I do pray you'd help me, Lord, to eliminate the ideas of religion and eliminate the ideas of uh, self-works and self-worth and be able to recognize and to help people recognize if they've got a true conversion, they've got a great God and a wonderful Savior, and He wants them to succeed in every walk of their life. And Father, I do pray that you would bless our time, that you would help me to be able to convey what you want me to say today, that Jesus Christ would be praised. Father, if someone here is lost, Father, as many as are, I pray they'd all call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today to wash them of their sins, and they'd realize they need a Savior and that He is it. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want you to see is uh, there's, there's a uh, verse number five, Saul's coming in. And that light comes down and the voice starts. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In verse number four, verse number five. There's a realization that happens. It's called conviction. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Verse six, and he trembling and astonished. Say, what's he realizing? That he sinned. That the one, you realize all the things that he is doing is it's designed to destroy the church that Jesus Christ is trying to build. Everything that Saul was trying to accomplish was to wreck the church, wreak havoc on it, destroy it, get anybody who's that way, who believes that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he died and he rose again, that they're praying to him and they're calling upon him. Anybody who believes that he's the Savior and the Messiah, we're going to get them, we're going to put them in prison, we're going to kill them, we're going to destroy them, we're going to ruin this thing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Now, you and I, we didn't have Jesus just poof, you know, and show up. But you got to meet him. So how'd you meet him? Uh, you met him through the pages of a Bible. And he started talking about this, this guy, Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. You know what you think? I've had sorrows and grief. I've had some bad things happen. He says, yeah, I was acquainted with those too. You look over and, and you see this man, Jesus, and, and not only that, he's had friends betray him. He's been poor. The Son of Man hath not to lay his head. You look at this guy and you get to meet Jesus, you know what you find about him? That he always wanted to do good for everybody else. Healing people, raising them from the dead, taking care of leprosy, cripples walking, stretch out your arm, make it whole. He just always seemed to be doing the right thing, feeding people. Going ahead and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. Going ahead and feeding 4,000 men plus women and children. Going ahead and taking care of all these things. He was just a good man taking care of everybody's needs. 
What's strange to me is, how can people not like Jesus? How do you not like the nicest, most compassionate man to ever live? You get introduced to him. You ever get introduced to somebody and immediately you know, that person's probably better than me. Right? I mean, you walk up to him, you shake their hand, and you think, now maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way. You size them up, right? You're sizing somebody up. And some people you think, we'd be friends. Other people you're like, hmm, they're weird. <laughs> Keep my distance. Other people you go, they're too good for me. They seem like they got something I don't have. Maybe I'm the only one that sees that. I don't know. I think, I think we're on the same page, but nobody's nodding, but that's fine. Um, man, help me out. Are we good? Are we out? Okay. Could you imagine meeting Jesus, like, in the flesh? He's walking around. He's healing people. You're one of the 12, maybe. Or you're just a bystander that he heals. And you see him. You don't think everybody went, he's out of my league. He's nicer than me. He's got more compassion than me. He's smarter than me. He's better at everything. I mean, good night. The guy walks on water. <sighs> Anyways, that's the comparative. Boy, that guy seems like he walks on water. He literally was walking on water. You know he's better than you. That's the only reason people don't like him. For envy, they delivered him up. You get looking at Jesus, you know what you find? You find that you aren't as good as he is. You eliminate the fact that he is the God of the universe that stepped out of the glories of heaven. You look at him just as a man, and you know what he is? He's better than you. He's way better than me. But even as a man, he was better. Because <laughs> he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He learned. Obedience. I mentioned that this morning to the teens. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Hebrews. So what did he learn? He learned to obey the Father. He's better at obeying God than you are. He's better at everything. You know what Saul has to recognize? I didn't know Jesus was at right there. Now he's got to recognize, I went against the God of the universe. Not only is he a better man than I am, he's God. He's God who stepped down out of the glories of heaven. The realization is, I'm a sinner. The realization is that I didn't do this right, that God actually is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I have to recognize that, you know what? Uh, I'm convicted. Why? Because I haven't lived right. I am not as good as God. Well, my good works will outweigh my bad works. No, they won't. This, this weird idea of this weird scale that everybody has. Well, if my good works outweigh my bad works. The pro you dealt with people. You've dealt with them. How frustrating is it to look at them and go, 
What do you do with your bad works? Wages of sin. Now, I'll give it to you. Maybe your good works will outnumber your bad works. But that's not the question. They go, oh, well, no, no. You go over to Revelation and uh, you get in front of that great white throne with him that sat upon it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. Every man was judged according to their works. See, that's good works versus bad works. No, it's not. It's not what it said. According to your works. So what are those? Whether they're good or bad, you're judged on all of them. Well, no, see, that's the scale. Nope. The statement is, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. The answer is that heaven is a place where nothing defiling can enter in, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. You told a lie, you don't get heaven. Well, yeah, but I did all these good things. Yeah, but you still told the lie. You can have the cleanest person on the planet. They're doing right. Everything's great. They haven't made one mistake. As soon as they break the law, as soon as they break the law, they steal, they go ahead and take something that's not theirs, and they get arrested and tried, and their answer is, yeah, but he's great. They may get a lighter sentence in this life. But that doesn't mean that they're innocent. They're still guilty. Say, well, see, we can get a lighter sentence by being good. The problem is there's only one sentence. (laughs) This isn't a, well, we'll see how many years we can knock off by being good. It's an eternal sentence. It's either heaven for all of eternity or it's a lake of fire for all of eternity. If you're unwilling to realize that you deserve a lake of fire for all of eternity, you're unwilling to realize that your sin is against God and that He is the one who you are going against and persecuting against and going up and fighting against and going and dealing with Him and talking to Him, you won't be able to get out of it. The realization is that you're a sinner. That doesn't make me feel good. And your feelings will deceive you. See, the problem that people have nowadays is that as you look at somebody, one of the major problems we have in the society that is getting built around us right now is that people cannot take any form of criticism. You can never tell them that they're wrong. And if you tell them that they're wrong, they just cut you out of their life. Since when is that healthy? Since when is that a good idea? Let's be honest. Every thought that ever popped into your head, and you went, yeah, that seems like a good idea. And someone looked at you and said, that's pretty dumb. Aren't you glad they said that's pretty dumb? Right? The opposing argument. Now, you say, not every time, but not every time. But a lot of times, it's good to temper your stupidity with somebody else's. Amen? Right? (laughs) 
That didn't sound nice at all. Right? Sometimes we both don't know what we're doing, but we at least can go, that's a bad idea. Right? But boy, it's nice to rely on somebody else's wisdom because you don't see everything. Isn't it nice to be able to go, hey, I don't know about that, and I can ask. Your sin, you know what the problem is? You don't want to believe that you're a sinner. Until you're willing to believe it, there's nothing God can do for you. He can't move. Say, well, I mean, doesn't God force? No, not a dictator. God doesn't force. He's not, he's not a terror. He doesn't come in and go, well, if you don't do it my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and wipe everybody out and we're just going to do things. No. He leaves you with a choice. You're going to choose to realize that you are a sinner and go ahead and get convicted about the fact that, you know what, yeah, I've done things wrong. I've told a lie. I've taken something that's not mine. I've dishonored my parents. I haven't worshipped the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. I haven't done... Because we all haven't. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And as conviction sets in in his heart, he realizes, Saul realizes this light and this one who is standing in front of him and is speaking to him. You know what he's recognizing? I've sinned. (laughs) Bad choice. I made a bad choice. Maybe he's thinking back just a couple of chapters to chapter 7 where they all laid those coats down. And he watched Stephen get stoned. And he heard the message that Stephen preached and he's going, oh man. We did resist the Holy Ghost again. We did crucify and slay the Son of God. We did. My sin, my transgression, my failure. And he's standing there and you know why he's trembling? He's trembling because the one he's persecuted everybody for going ahead and believing is talking to him right now and he knows that God has all of the cards. If he can appear and knock you off your horse with just light, you are in trouble. By the way, if God is convicting your heart, you know what you are? In trouble. But thankfully, verse number six, he asks a great question. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I believe this is right here. This is where the conversion happens. Right here. You say, yeah, but he didn't get the hands laid on and the scales fall and everything. He made a submission moment right here. He resigned. The statement was the repentance and the resignation. He gets converted right here. The statement comes, Lord, what do you want? I'll do it, whatever you want. You you realize when you're a sinner and you deserve hell for all of eternity, the answer to God is very simple. God, what do I do to get out? How do I fix it? What do you want me to do? What, What do I do? Isn't that the Philippian jailer? Sirs, what must we do to be saved? 
I don't know what else to do, but if I got to, you tell me, you know, I don't know, you tell me. What do I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That light shines down and goes ahead and convicts him and it goes ahead and makes it so that he can understand, you know what? I am resigning to the fact that he is God. Lord, and whatever he wants, that's what I'll do. That's repentance. That's a, that's a word people don't like anymore. Repentance. I'm going to use it a bunch right here. Repentance. To repent means to change your mind, heart, will to the direction you should go. It's a change of your decision making. Now I can think of no greater contrast than literally killing and persecuting the church of God that Jesus Christ is building and going against everything that Jesus Christ has and having Jesus show up and him go, well, that's all the wrong direction. Let me turn around and go the other way. Now, this is where people go, well, when does salvation happen? And you get all the semantics. You can try and parse it all down. Is it, is it when they call? Is it when they say all the right words? And since when is salvation saying all the right words? Now, I believe that belief causes confession. It's a byproduct. You'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. Those are two simultaneous thought processes. I believe that the belief causes the change. Thusly, it becomes an outward change, not just an internal change. Those go hand in hand. Amazingly enough, Saul's goes hand in hand. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? <laughs> All right, you're Jesus. You're the one I've persecuted. Okay, I surrender. You win. I'll believe what I believe that you are exactly. You, you realize when he makes this statement, he has to agree that Jesus is the one he's talking to. Right? Well, then if Jesus is the one he's talking to, then he did rise from the dead. Saul has no problem believing that he was crucified and he was buried. That happened in his lifetime. <laughs> was he there? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure he'd heard of Jesus before. Acts chapter 7. I'm pretty sure he knows what's going on. That's not really hard to figure out. He's one of the Pharisees. He knows about this enemy that they all had. He knows. And for him to sit there and have that light shine down and hear Jesus speak to him, you know what his answer is? Well, I know it's Jesus. I know he rose from the dead then because he's talking to me. He's showing up to me. Okay. Well, if he's Jesus and he rose from the dead, then he must have been the son of God. And that means everything that I've heard from all these people I've persecuted about him. You really think all those people stayed quiet about it? You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Those people that died in the all the recounts of what he's doing and all of the, all the, you know what they're doing? They're going to the stake, not renouncing Jesus Christ. Proclaiming and praying. You, Stephen, <laughs> lay not this sin to their charge. You think, you think Saul doesn't know what's happening? Saul's going, there's Jesus. He's alive and well. 
That means he must be the son of God. And that must be that all those things they were saying about him dying for my sins must be true. So then, Lord, what do I do? What do I do with this? A sinner who gets to the place where they're under conviction and they understand that they don't deserve heaven, you know what their first question is? How do I get it? You witness to somebody, you deal with people, you know what you find? They want it. When they realize that they're a sinner and they don't deserve heaven, their answer is, how do I get it? I mean, if you say I can have it, then how do I get it? Well, you need to change. So what do you need to change? You need to change your way of thinking. Your works aren't good enough. Whatever it is you're trusting to be good enough and amazing enough and wonderful enough to make it so that you can have heaven for all of eternity doesn't happen. Instead, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. Quit thinking that way. And realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave His life a ransom for many and died not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. And He paid the debt of your sins and He rose from the grave to prove that He could be victorious and to save to the uttermost all them that would call upon Him. And you need to call upon Him and ask Him to do so. It's that simple. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the answer. You and I right now, that's the answer. If you don't have a time and a place where you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and wash of your sins and take you to heaven, today is the day. You don't have to wait. You don't even have to wait till the invitation. You know what you can have? You can have salvation now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It's now. You don't even need to wait for anybody else. You go ahead and take care of it now. You go, I am a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I do deserve a lake of fire. I do. Okay? I know Jesus died for me. And I'm going to ask him to forgive me and save me because he rose from the grave. He can go ahead and give me eternal life. It's that simple. Say, when does that happen? It happens in the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. It's the choice. Say, it's when you say it. That's semantics. The heart gets it. The mouth gives it. Mm. It's that simple. But thankfully, you go, well, see, isn't that a great conversion? Isn't it wonderful the Lord didn't stop that day? Could you imagine if the Lord stopped it right there? It's like, oh, I got Saul. He's on my side. We're good. That isn't where he stopped with you. That's not where he stopped with you and I. He kept going. Uh, notice what he says. In verse number 15, we're going to jump. I'm going to go real quick now, all right? I like this part, but I'm going to go quick. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, talking to Ananias, to go, right? He's supposed to go. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, he is chosen. He's not only convicted. He's not only converted. He is chosen now. When you got put into Jesus Christ, now you're chosen. All right, this is after salvation. You realize choosing comes after salvation? The Calvinist has that backwards. God chose you. No, nope. he saved you, and then he chose you. <laughs> Until you're, this is kind of simple logic, all right, so I apologize if this is a little too simple, but uh, I'm going to go with this. Uh, 
in the army, our military, right? If you are in our military, you are not supposed to be able to follow orders from a, another country's military, right? If you are, that means that you're a traitor, <laughs> right? If you're following orders from China or Russia or any other country on the planet, you're a traitor. Okay? That's simple. If you're in the army and you are right there and your commander gives you an order, you're supposed to follow it. And if you don't follow it, that also leads to treasonous uh, repercussions and so on, right? Not, not obeying your lawful order and so on and all the punishment that goes along with it, right? Now, before Saul trusts Christ, whose army is he part of? The devils. So how's he supposed to choose him to do a task? You don't get chosen until you get into the right army. And when that happens, then he can choose you. And I've heard wonderful military stories. Sorry, just Right? The volunteers in the military are you, you, and you. And uh, you don't really get a choice, right? I want some volunteers, you, you, and you are going to go, right? That's, that's how the Lord works. Hey, Saul, uh, I've chosen you. Now, Saul's chosen in particular due to his past, right? He's been in with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's been in with those high-ranking people. He was trained properly. He was, for their respect, he takes his past and he says, okay, you're fit to stand before kings and between these leaders and to go ahead and talk with them because you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. I put in you already as a lost man what I needed as a saved man. Chosen. Say, well, how come I don't stand before kings? You weren't chosen for that. You weren't chosen for that. You know what you were chosen for? I don't know where you work, but you were chosen to go right there and go ahead and be a witness. He's chosen to be the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Say, so, well, I want to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's not what you were chosen for. You weren't. Remember, remember, we're not all equal. <laughs> We don't have the same past. We don't have the same experience. We don't have, you know what you can do? You can talk to people I could never be able to talk to. You have experience that I don't have. You have interactions that I don't have. You have different people in your life that I don't have. But that's where God chose to put you. And that's not a bad thing. People go, well, the only way you can be right with God is if you're a preacher. No, that's stupid. For all preachers, we're in trouble. We got nobody to preach to. It's really awkward to stand up here with nobody else. We tried that with COVID. I hated it. Staying here and talking to an empty room, it's weird. Everybody's not supposed to do that. We're not all the same job. God chose you and He chose you to do something for Him where you are. With your past, with your future, with the family that you have, with the life that you have, the talents that you have, the abilities He has given you, and the availability that you allow Him to have in your life, He chooses and chooses and chooses. You realize Ananias was chosen. 
He was chosen to be the one to walk over to Saul and let him know and to lay hands on him. You say, who's the greatest Christian? Man, it might have been Ananias. So yeah, but he questioned. He'd be dumb not to question. We talking about the same guy? Isn't he supposed to kill me? You want me to go over there? Most of us would have said, no way. And Ananias goes, all right, I guess you're sure. I guess I'll go. I mean, you already told him my name. Better go. Going to track me down either way. You already gave it away. And there he goes. What did God ask you to do? He chose you. He's got a task. Say, what's the task? I don't know. But he chose you for some things. And the word of the Lord. By the way, I'm going to slide this in. You know what's amazing? When Saul recounts this as Paul later, he says, the Lord told me that I was going to go to the Gentiles and before kings. But Ananias was told from God. And Ananias told Saul. There you go. There you go. Say, well, if God doesn't speak to me from heaven, I just... Sometimes He uses people in your life and He speaks through them better than you'd ever hear from anybody else. Anyways, look over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. He was convicted. He was converted. He was chosen. Acts chapter 13, verse number 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's not right. Don't do that. Verse number 1. That's where I want to be. I jumped down. Uh, verse number 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now therefore, uh, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manane, uh, whatever that is, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Not only are you chosen, but you're called. You know, God's requesting some things of you. If He has convicted you and converted you, He has chosen you, and He is going to make the call. The phone's going to ring. It's your choice to choose. And pick it up. He chose you. He's going to call you. Will you go ahead at his request? Will you do what he asks? He'll call. Sometimes he'll call and say, hey, I need you to get things right with me. Sometimes he'll call and he'll say, hey, I need you to go talk to somebody because they need salvation and they need a witness. Sometimes he'll call and he'll say, hey, I need you to go be an encouragement to so-and-so. They're hurting. Sometimes he'll call and he'll say, hey, I just need a little bit more time with you. Could you spend some more time with me? Sometimes he'll call and he'll say, hey, so-and-so, you better start praying for them. They need some help. And I know you can't get there, but you need to pray. Hey, sometimes he'll call. You know what he'll say? He'll say, hey, you know what? You need to do this and get this done because if no, you don't get it done, nobody else is. 
and he'll call. Will you be like Ananias? Lord, here I am. Will you be like Isaiah? Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm good. I hear the call. I'll go. I'll do. So that means you've got to go to a mission field. That's not what it said. Could you do the simple tasks he calls upon you to do? He wants to. He convicted you. He converted you. He chose you. He's called you. And on top of that, he commissions you. He sends. He's the one who's doing the sending. Verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Jesus Christ says, So send I you. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. And we look out, and you know what he says? He says, hey, look, the fields are white already on the harvest. Pray ye therefore the laborers, that, uh, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what I think? I think that the Lord is sending plenty of laborers, but nobody's picking up the phone. They're glad that they got convicted, and they're glad they got converted, and they're glad God would even choose them, but they don't answer the call, so they never get commissioned. Because they refuse to go. I don't think it's a lack of God's calling. I think it's a lack of our answering. Why would you think that? Because since when is God's arm shortened that he cannot save? When is it God's fault that a world wouldn't come to him? When is it God's fault? Never. Well, you know, we're just not getting the same supply of people. By the way, if the number of people matters, then you can go back to Sunday school and learn again about Gideon's 300. If you think God's worried about all the numbers, he's not. He'll accomplish with great or small. The question is, would you listen to the call so he could do something through you? Would you be willing to let him commission and send you, even send you to your workplace? I don't mean send you around the world. Everybody gets all nervous. You say the word sent, and it's automatically a missionary. Relax. I don't want any of you to leave, all right? I don't. But the truth is, you know what the Lord needs? He needs laborers in his harvest, and there's a harvest right here. There's a harvest right here. We've got, we've got houses to talk to. We've got people. We've got visitors. We've got this. We've got that. We've got all sorts of things. We've got Bible handouts this week. We've got all sorts of ways. You say, what can I do? Something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Something. Just do something. You say, well, I don't know how to be a witness. Then ask somebody, hey, can I partner with you? Can you teach me? That's the side. I'm going to slide this in. I don't, I don't, I'm sliding too much in today. I'm very excited to preach today. Um, but, you know, discipleship, the 12 disciples, right? If Jesus Christ is the pattern, right? I think we'd all agree. Jesus is the pattern. Discipleship, he had 12 of them, right? One was a devil, but he had 12. Hopefully you don't get any devils following. But anyways, right? And he's say, what did they do? They learned by following him. They learned by going where he went and doing what he did. 
You say, well, I don't know how to witness. We got people who know how to witness. And it's not just me and Brother James. <laughs> we got a bunch of people who know how to witness. <laughs> we can pair some people up. We can go and you can learn how to witness. Say, that's scary. It's always scary. You, you, Brother James, you were on the streets yesterday. Did you feel nervous before you got going? Every time right before. I got up here to preach. I told the teens, I'm still nervous when I preach. I'm still nervous. There's something about it. You say what? It's the, it's the amazing responsibility of the message you're about to give. You realize the souls of men are in question. When you're street preaching, when you're witnessing, when you're talking to somebody, it's important. But you know what it is? It's also something you can learn. And you have to get past your fear because God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And He'll keep you together while you go ahead and turn to Him and go ahead and do what He asked you to do. And you can learn from others the techniques. But you know what I can't teach? I can't teach you to be willing. That's your choice. I can't teach somebody and make force them to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, just like I can't make and force anybody else to do anything for Him. It's all going to be a matter of choice. What you choose to do and how much God gets to do through you is all going to be up to you. He's convicted, He's converted, He's chosen, He's called, and God commissions Him out and sends Him forth, and He gets to do and be one of the greatest Christians you've ever seen. You know why this is a true conversion? Because ultimately everything about the Apostle Paul changed. Everything changed. And what he could keep from that past, he restructured into the present. All that old knowledge he had, all those things, you know what God did? He went, whoop, let's, let's straighten that up to what it ought to be. And he's going ahead and back there in Acts chapter 9, even then, he's convincing the Jews that this is the very Christ. He's taken everything that he knew and you know what he said? He said, okay, now I see it through the light of Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior and boom, here we go. And the Lord can take you and do the exact same thing. If you've never been saved in here this morning, we're going to take a moment. We're going to have an invitation. I don't know if anybody's lost. I don't know if anybody's unsure of whether they'll be in heaven for all of eternity. But if that's you, we're going to sing. We're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to come. And we'll take a Bible. Get my attention. We'll take a Bible. We'll open up and we'll show you out of the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. That's the promise from God. It's not going to be because I said so. It's going to be because the Bible says so. And then we'll go ahead and, and help you. And if you want to pray, you can. And if you don't want to, you can go. That's not a problem. But we'd love the opportunity to show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. If you're in here today and you're saved, I'm going to ask you, has God been calling? And have you been ignoring his phone calls? I hope not. I hope not. I hope you're picking up and going, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do today? Not for our salvation but just the wonderment of, Lord, what can I do for you? You saved me for all of eternity. What can I do for you today? Let's go ahead and stand.
Father, I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can wash us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray if someone here doesn't have Jesus as their Savior, I pray they'd get an amazing conversion today. You'd wash them of their sins and be able to do something. But Father, I pray, Lord, if someone's holding back, I pray they wouldn't. I pray they'd come. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, I pray we'd be heeding the call. You've chosen us for a task. I pray you'd help us to hear the call so that we can go ahead and do what you've asked of us. As an individual, Lord, we each get our own task to do. Father, I pray that you would get glory out of our lives. Father, once again, we pray you'd come back soon. Take us home even today in Jesus' name. Amen.